This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of AMA. I am super excited that you guys have joined me today. We're going to be going through your questions. And as always, if this feed is adding value, please do share it. That's how we grow this community, which is our primary focus, as you guys well know. For us to pull off what we're trying to do with Impact Theory, we need to get as many people into this funnel as humanly possible. Um, We have recently crossed 100,000 on YouTube. We are aiming for 115,000 by October 1st. I'm not feeling good about our chances, Uh, but we do have a contest going on right now. There is a video that somebody will drop into the feed here today. If you go to that video, if you send your friends to that video, I should say, up, I'm being flagged. Ah, my man, Agent Smith coming to the rescue. So he is going to drop that into the feed. Have your friends go to that video, subscribe to the channel, and then drop your name into the comment section to enter yourself for a chance to win. No matter where you are in the world, we will fly you here to Los Angeles to spend a day with me. So let's do it. Let's get crazy. Let's get those subs. 115. That was our goal. October 1st. And we're on our way. We we have a long way to go. And we only have three days to get there. I will say, however, that the contest runs for three weeks, though. So there's that. All right. Without further ado, the first question comes from Eve Tiongson from YouTube. The more I look into self-development, the more I resent the weaknesses of the general population. How can I come from a place of compassion instead of feeling annoyed most of the time? All right, well, that is a question about A, controlling your brain chemistry and B, really having a different frame because if as you grow more powerful and as you get better at executing on things, there's a couple things you can have to remember. One is if you let that make you feel that you're above people. One, everyone is gonna think you're a dick, so be super careful of that, because that is the fastest way to not get what you want from life. And I know a lot of the times people think that that stuff is invisible, and the reason that you think that attitude is invisible is because you get away with it half of the time. The other half of the time, you're rapidly earning the reputation of being a jerk. So be super, super careful of that. Uh, the other thing is I think it is it is a way more emotionally pleasing frame of reference to have to look at people and say, I was once there. And since I was once there, then why would I judge people that are still there? In fact, personally, I turn inwards and look at myself and my effectiveness as a catalyst to really drive change. And if I'm not effective at driving change, then I'm going to take that responsibility on myself. Also, it is just the human condition that people get trapped in their minds, which is why obviously impact theory exists. Also, and this is hard, but if you can feel deeply emotionally connected to somebody that struggles with that problem. If you've never struggled with it yourself, it becomes really, really hard to judge them. So take my obsession with people that are struggling with weight, obesity, because so many people in my family that I love so much um, have struggled with that. I, I can't both love them and think they're bad people at the same time. So that's that first seed of real and 
sort of limbic level compassion. And then the other is you can just choose to be compassionate. That when the annoyance arises up in you, you can say, look, I refuse to accept that. I refuse to give into that on a neurochemical level. Instead, I'm going to look at this person with compassion. I'm literally just, I'm going to understand I have not been perfect and therefore I'm not gonna pass judgment on other people that aren't perfect. Force yourself to come back to that, back to that, back to that every time, regardless of whether your mind kicks up the annoyance or the looking down um, at them, uh, you should be able to literally talk yourself out of that stance. It's not a very helpful stance. Anyway, also, a lot of times it's being driven from your own um, disdain for yourself for moments of weakness, and I think that this all starts with self-compassion. So if you're loving yourself first and having compassion for all of your weaknesses and coming failures, it becomes much easier with other people. All right, JKH from YouTube. Without insulting any or many of your great guests, which person stands out, if any, as someone that left you in awe? So the very easy go-to answer there is David Goggins. Uh, that does not mean that I haven't been blown away by the not only generosity of the people that have come on the show and just shared with us everything that they've learned, it just so happens my particular personality, that one really, really spoke to me. So I am a huge believer because it's exactly what I needed is custom tailored to me. I'm a huge believer in holding oneself accountable, kicking oneself in the ass, um, really pushing yourself, trying to become truly extraordinary that's just my personal obsession. And I have found that the only way to get there is to really, really hold yourself accountable. And nobody does that better than David Goggins. So researching him truly changed me. Uh, I went so deep in his world that I will say that I was probably more changed in the research process than by the time that I actually met him and he got on set, which is great. It means that people like that can really move and motivate you uh, without ever needing to meet them. But yeah, he's amazing. Another person that I had on Inside Quest, but I've not yet had back on Impact Theory is a guy named Faras Zahabi. I always feel compelled to mention his name. He is a true warrior philosopher, which is something that really captures my imagination. I think the way that he thinks, he reminds me of the modern day Bruce Lee and I really won't rest until he is universally acknowledged as such. Um, so he's incredible. And then just the, the bevy of neuroscientists. I'm such a geek for that stuff. So I fanboyed out harder on V.S. Ramachandran than I think anybody uh, that I've ever had on the show. So there you have it. All right, next, Manan Devani, YouTube. How do I build the motivation to study regularly? All right, so this is really a question of identity and you've gotta be focused relentlessly on building your identity, on saying this is the type of person that I wanna be, so I use the phrase, I'm the type of person that. I'm the type of person that is motivated. I'm the type of person that when I find myself getting distracted, I bring myself back to the task at hand. I'm the type of person that sets a goal and then sticks to it. I'm the type of person that is very careful about the goals that they set so that it's only something that's very compelling for me, only very exciting. And that, so those are examples of I'm the type of person that. Uh, but then the other part of this is that you need to be really cognizant that your future needs to be something that is deeply compelling to you. And this is somehow getting lost in stuff. You've gotta love the thing that you're working your ass off for. Like it's never going to work. You're never going to feel motivation to do shit you don't care about. Newsflash. So make sure that you pick something as your goal. You pick the person that you're trying to become. All things that really excite you. So let's not let that get lost. And I was thinking about that earlier today. So I was prepping for this Friday's episode of After Impact with Maria Sharapova. Go check that episode out. Um, and she was talking about how at like five and a half, she tore her fingernail off. She was bleeding everywhere. And her dad was like, Jesus, we have to get you home. She was like, absolutely not. I want to go practice um, tennis. And I remember thinking, whoa, like at not only at five and a half, at 15, Jesus, probably until I was in my 20s, uh, that would not have been my reaction. And a bloody fingernail would have been the excuse to not do anything. And then I had this flash of the one time in my life where I was eating McDonald's french fries, I'll never forget, and I so wanted to eat those french fries, even though I started to feel nauseous, I really wanted to finish the fries. And on top of that, I was supposed to go to a friend's house to spend the night. So it was like this magical evening of McDonald's french fries before I go spend the night at a friend's house. Like it was just, I was so excited that I tried to pretend that I wasn't coming down with the flu. And so that is one of those stories where 
whatever it was, I don't remember what friend's house I was going to, so I don't remember what we were going to do or play, but let's pretend for a second that it was video games because at a certain time in my life, I was not allowed to play video games. And so, which may speak to why now I am so interested. Um, but that was something that really pulled me through. And so when you, meaning pulled me through like the nausea, so whatever it is, the difficulties, the lack of motivation, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, when you have a thing that is pulling you through because you're legitimately excited about it, that's when things start to happen. So I find that a lot of times lack of motivation has to do with not structuring your life in a way where you actually care about the outcome. So find that thing, stop judging yourself because I think everybody at least sees a flicker of interest inside of them, something that they, they really find interesting and they want to at least explore deeper. And then for many people, there is truly a deep and glowing passion, something that they love doing, but they judge themselves for. And I'll just stick with video games for a minute. Reading a book, watching a movie, whatever it is, that thing that you love doing, nobody has to tell you to do, but you don't think either that it can be a career or you straight judge yourself for and think that it's stupid and it's a waste of time. Like, what could you do around that universe if it's really giving you the the sense of well-being, and I choose that word very carefully, I did not say happiness, it's giving you a deep sense of well-being. If, if that is arising out of something in your life, find a way to put that at the center of your life, and I think you will find the vast majority of your motivation problems go away, especially if you've been focusing on building an identity of being somebody who sticks with things. All right, next one, Nia Vashkidzi. Nia Vashakidzi. There we go. Facebook, I'm so scared to fail. Is it too late for me to start? I'm 36. Am I, am I too old for it? The answer is absolutely not. So first of all, from my perspective, at 36, you're a spring chicken. So uh, I definitely wouldn't be worried about whether or not you're too old for something, even if you were 56, 66, 86. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, Think about how long a year really is. So even if you only had a year left, I would say that it's not too late to really enjoy that year. And the reason that I'm tying a fear of failure to enjoyment is on the other side of fearing to fail, what you're going to realize is that the what you get out of that failure, whether it's deep and abiding shame or whether it's a really powerful lesson that now you can pour into getting better at something, that to me is, is the real juice. And one... Once you have failed and failed just brutally publicly or whatever, you're going to realize that on the other side of that, you absolutely can rebuild 100%. Like even look at somebody, oh God, I'm blanking on her name. Oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. This is really atrocious. But the woman that had the, um, the scandalous affair with Bill Clinton, God, does anybody remember her name? Uh, it's like on the tip of my tongue. Anyway. Yes, Monica Lewinsky, thank you, my boy Ibrahim coming to the rescue. Uh, she said that, that that incident followed her around like tar. And there was that, something in that description that really like, gives you the sense of how long that lasts. And even she has rebuilt her life, is now talking about bullying and really adding value to people's lives. And you want to talk about something that is, is a truly haunting failure um, there's that, but she's found a way to find happiness. She's found a way to learn from that. She's found a way to empower other people with that and from that experience. So I'm guessing that whatever failure you're fearing ranks way lower on the tar like follow you scale than that. So, um, once people understand that you can learn something very powerful from any failure. That's when it gets interesting. So focus on that, what you can learn, and understand that getting better is one of the key um, building blocks to happiness, what I'll call fulfillment. I think that's a better word in this case. Um, so it's very, very important not to be afraid to go through that. All right, Sharad Mohammed, Facebook. Hey man, I am dealing with addiction. Whoa, how do I, um, how do, I think how, it's meant to say, how do I overcome this? So, um, I am not an expert on addiction. I do not think that I should go deep on this topic. I will say there are amazing, amazing people out there that can really help you. Just let's set aside. If you have any shame whatsoever about that, set that aside, seek help for sure, for sure. On the other side of that um, is a version of yourself where you'll be able to deal with that addiction. There's been a lot of addiction in my family, so I've seen what it can do to people. Uh, it's pretty gnarly, but I've also seen them rebuild and just become extraordinary human beings on the other side of that. So go get help for Shwayze. It's out there. There are incredible people that can help you with this. All right. 
Miodrag Miki Malenkovich. I think that's pretty close. I'll be honest with you. Facebook, what's the best place to start? What mindset to use when you are living in a country where everything is corrupted and you're working for 250 US dollars and feeding both yourself and your family yet desperately want to succeed? Man, we're going back to back questions that I have absolutely no expertise in. So I have never been stuck in a country like that. So all I can say is from a mindset perspective, I think the thing you have to focus on is there is a way. And even if that's there is a way out of this country, if that's the only thing you consider a viable solution, making sure that your mindset is solution oriented, that's the key. And that really is a choice. Because look, if you look for how the deck is stacked against you, that's all you're gonna see. If you look for how hopeless the situation is, that's all you're gonna see. If on the other hand, you focus on there is always a way. And I will give you the example from the famous General Hannibal who had the job of getting elephants across the Swiss Alps, if I'm not mistaken. And he said, we'll either find a way or we'll make one. And he actually ended up getting the elephants across the Alps. So that is one of those, it is the solution was born of the mindset. If he didn't believe it was possible, he would never take that first step. And this is why I'm obsessed with this notion that humans lead with belief. The reason he was able to get elephants over a mountain was because he chose to believe that it was possible and he was going to keep looking for any possibility over, under, through, around, like whatever it takes to get over that obstacle, um, there, there is a way. And super random example, but uh, Maria Sharapova, who um, we just filmed, which is why she's on my mind, her father, during the collapse of the Soviet Union, her father got a visa to take her to America when they weren't giving visas to go to America. And they had to leave um, her mother behind for years. I can't remember how many years the mom was left back in Russia, but it wasn't a short period of time. But that's what he had to do. That was the only way to get his daughter out, to give her the shot that she needed. He believed that Florida was a place to take her and, and obviously ended up being right as she was ranked many, many times number one in the world and has been the highest paid female athlete. But all of this started when, when she was, her mom was pregnant. They were actually living in the shadow of the Chernobyl disaster. They then flee there. They go to Sochi, realize there's no opportunities in Sochi. And he talks um, a visa agent into giving him, or a customs agent, whatever they're called, into giving them the visa to go. And the guy that he happened to get that was deciding whether or not to give him the visa also had a daughter who played tennis, which I think is actually worse for him because the guy goes, look, I think my daughter is exceptionally talented at tennis as well, but I don't think she's a prodigy. How do you know that you're not judging your daughter through the, the eyes of a father and that's it? And he still managed to convince him to give him the visa. So that's but one example of an, an avalanche of people that have had just incredible stories of getting out of terrible places. So again, that's not me. I don't have expert in it, but um, there are some pretty amazing stories. All right, next question, Andres Esquivel, Facebook. How do you stop from setting yourself up to fail? How can you keep pushing into the hard part of your dream? All right, so uh, I'd really need more clarity on exactly how you're setting yourself up to fail. But the, the reality is if you actually wanna make your dream come true, your obsessive focus has to be on improvement. So every day, every failure, um, every spare moment that you have needs to be poured into actually acquiring a better skill set. And this is where I find people really get lost in mindset. It's why I have an absolute paralyzing terror of being known as a motivational speaker. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters are your actions. The only thing that matters are the, the skills that you're able to acquire. And if you're not spending every day focused on getting better and becoming truly extraordinary, then all hope is lost. And if you want to get ahead in life, boys and girls, I promise you, the only thing you need to focus on is actually getting good. Actually get good. That's it. And that's somehow becoming more and more lost in today's um, Instagram culture is people just aren't doubling down and getting better. They're not focusing on skill acquisition. They're not focused, in, focused on execution. They're, they're trying to build a following before they've built something. And that is where this gets terrifying. And, and, and in fact, I'm going to co-op a Kobe Bryant quote. He said, booze don't block dunks. But I'm also going to say this, cheers 
don't make dunks. So it doesn't matter whether people are booing or cheering you on. It doesn't matter if you have a massive following or not. The only thing that matters is, are you actually good at something? So get so good they can't ignore you. That's the path. That's how you stop yourself from failing. All right, Edward Simmons, Facebook. Uh, how do you figure out your purpose? All right, this one is very easy and it goes like this. Inside of you right now, based on the things that you've encountered in your life, there are areas of interest. That's it. There, you're not gonna go inside and discover that you have this hidden passion or purpose lying within you, what you're gonna realize is that you have areas of interest. You're going to engage with those areas of interest. Those areas of interest then why they're turned into something that you're legitimately fascinated by, it has completely captured your attention, or it won't. If it doesn't, you set it aside, you move on to the next thing. Engage with it until you find the one that you're really fascinated by. Then you're gonna go into the process of gaining mastery. And in the process of actually getting so good that they can't ignore you, of acquiring the skill set that I was just talking about, in that process, it's either going to develop into a passion, something where you're actually good at. You've got the whole Greek notion of techni, where something that you've worked your ass off to acquire the skills has used to other people. That, my friends, is when you fall in love with something, when it really becomes this burning passion. It is something you've been fanning the flames the whole way. It is not something you're born with. It is not something that happens by accident. And in that passion, you're going to decide at some point, is this sort of a private, quiet passion that I have. Like, I have a passion for video games. I love them. You don't have to remind me to play them, but they are not my purpose. So engaging with that, it's very clear to me. I love it, I enjoy it, it's very fun. But my real purpose in life, and I'll even stick with video games for a second, is to teach other people how to leverage video games to build a mindset. Okay? And that focus on helping other people build a mindset to escape the matrix, to see what happens to the world when hopefully millions, hundreds of millions more people now have an empowering mindset than would have had had they not encountered me and my content. That is my purpose. But that was a decision amongst many things that I really enjoy, have a deep passion for, want to engage with am horrified that I don't get to spend more time doing those things. There are a bevy of them for me. I have a deep passion for reading. I could just sit and read about neuroscience all day and I would be a very happy camper. But at the end of the day, everything comes back to the thing I have decided is my purpose. And that's to pull people out of the matrix. And for a while I had decided that my purpose was to end metabolic disease. And so it really is like, you make that decision and you can change from one to the other if you want. I now spend, I'm super glad that quest is still going. Uh, I will continue to contribute to that cause through the content. But the thing that I will say is my blinding driving purpose that I've decided to put at the center of my life is pulling people out of the matrix. So recognizing that it's a decision is very, very key. All right, Bruder Roy, this one's from YouTube. How can I get to the point where I say I am not some random average? How do you rise above the statistics or how do you just say that you're not some random average person? Um, so at the end of the day, one, humans lead with belief. So you're going to have to decide already right now that you're capable of learning things that are going to make you capable of the extraordinary. And then go about doing the hard ass work of head down and getting good at something. Now, going back to where we started all of this, that something needs to be something that's pulling you through with excitement that the future becoming that person and getting good at that thing amps you up and makes you feel more alive than anything else. But you just have to decide, look, every human being, it's not true. Any human being capable of asking that question, I will just tell you right now, you meet minimum requirements. So now it becomes a question of what do you do with your potential? In what way do you actuate it? So decide right now that you are capable of transcending the average, that you're not just some statistic, that you can do anything you set your mind to. But then you have to prove that to yourself by going out and doing it. And the notion of earning credibility with yourself is hardly ever talked about and absolutely critical. And you're gonna have to earn that credibility with yourself through action, not a bunch of thought, through actual action. All right, Manu Pathak YouTube. In fact, I'm gonna take a, a swill of a tasty beverage here for him. Bear with me. All right, this is from Manu. I am dieting and exercising for three months now I've been able to reduce 22 pounds, so I'm assuming you've lost 22 pounds, uh, but now I'm not able to lose anymore. Please help. What do I do? 
All right, so without more specifics, it's virtually impossible to answer that question, but I would say that as a general rule, the thing that you wanna be doing is learn, learn, learn. So find somebody that's done it at least once so that you're not like taking in the cacophony of noise that is out there. Find somebody that was heavy in the way that you were heavy and that got to the physique that you wanna get to and figure out what they did, learn from them. That is, that is the easiest way. Now there's no one size fits all, but I'm gonna give you a couple rapid fire things that I would do that I think are about as close to universal as humanly possible. Cut out sugar, start with that. Yes, that includes fruit. Yes, I know that's controversial. I'm just telling you things that I have, that I believe are damn near universal. So you're gonna drop your sugar content to essentially zero. You'll never be able to get it all the way to zero because broccoli has sugar in it, just to give you an idea, but you're gonna get it really damn close. Then I would take out any and all processed carbohydrates. So yes, that means bread. Yes, that means pasta. Yes, that means rice. All of it's got to go. I would boil your life down to either a vegetarian diet that gets your adequate protein into it, or I've never done that for the record. I just know there's enough people that have that I'm sure it is very possible. I do not enjoy that way of eating. It has not made me historically feel good. So I would say get a nice lean protein source like chicken breast. Um, Don't put sauce on it broccoli and other vegetables, cruciferous vegetables. Those are the ones that I highly recommend that you look up and then have some sort of release valve. So whether that's one meal on a Saturday or something like that where you cheat so you're not going absolutely crazy, don't make it a full cheat day, which I used to and I could pack on so many calories and in such horrific um, macronutrients and ingredients that it would just have a lingering effect. So I felt like I was taking two steps forward and 1.99 back. Uh, So not a great way to live. If you did that, if you eat chicken breast and broccoli, um, you're going to continue to lose weight. Also exercise, but as I say, you can't outrun a bad diet. All right, that is super brief and way oversimplifying the problem. And I will say that this is blunt force trauma, um, the prescription that I just gave you and has absolutely no nuance, but there it is. And another thing that you might wanna do is start writing down everything, everything that you eat or drink, everything. I'm talking, if you walk by the fridge and take a sip of water, write it down. Um, Cause I think you're gonna see you probably taking a lot more calories than you realize. Like a lot of people chew gum and don't realize that it's full of fucking sugar. So things like that. All right, Andrew Bernhardt, Facebook. I'm 36 and run my own business and always struggled with organization and procrastination. I'm talking to a doctor on Friday about a possible ADD diagnosis. All right, so um, why don't we just run through this scenario? Assume that the doctor says, yes, you have ADD. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna let them put you on medication? Um, which if you feel that that is necessary, try it, man. Absolutely no judgment. Now be very careful. I think that being on medication long-term should really give you pause. So unless you're taking the ADD medication as a six to 12 month like intervention to like help you get the neurological rewiring going, Uh, I would be very leery to go on medication until I had really given everything else a try. But I just say that from a longevity, like um, neuroprotective standpoint. I don't say it from, man, if I need medication, I would take it in a fucking heartbeat. And I will say I take allergy medication every night and it gives me pause. Like I'm actually super tense and I've tried a few times to stop it and I just end up getting really bunged up like fast. So, but even I, like, I think it's bad. I think it's bad and I should probably not be doing it. But nonetheless, there you have it. So I'm certainly not shy about that, but I think that there are things that you can do um, to help yourself. Like if 100% of fixing the problem would require medication, what percentage can you do without the medication? Is it 30 or is it 70? Because if you can reduce the problem by 70% without medication through meditating, through um, training yourself to always come back and focus, always come back and focus. So um, as longtime listeners of my content know, Um, when I was a kid, I was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder. And the only reason that my mother didn't get me medicated was because I uh, could sleep through the night. So I feel like I don't have an easy time concentrating. That's for sure. But I force myself. And one of the ways that I've gotten good at concentrating for long periods of time is contracts and reading contracts. I didn't do it. I did it to get good at that and to make sure that I can never be taken advantage of from a contractual perspective. But the 
secondary outcome of me spending over the last decade learning how to read contracts is I hate them so much that it forces me, I'm, my mind is constantly wandering and it forces me to bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And in doing that, you find that one, you find tips and tricks. So for me, this is gonna sound stupid, but furrowing my brow helps me focus. Two, um, my posture will impact my level of focus. Three, a certain type of music helps me maintain my focus. Uh, Channeling aggression helps me maintain my focus. So those are all things that I found. And then like just forcing myself to constantly come back to being focused, I find that the duration of time that I can focus gets longer and longer. So um, in conjunction with seeking out uh, medical help, I would encourage that. All right. Next up is from Ermis Kursman. This is from YouTube. Have you had difficulty with concentration, uh, both on the macro and micro level? How could I overcome it? Literally, I just answered that question. Uh, so next up is Conjit Sifu from Facebook. I'm dealing with a difficult time and I listen to you every day. Dude, I'm honored. Thank you. You motivate me. I know I have potential to do better and I believe life's got to be better than this, but I feel like something is holding me back from jumping any advice. All right. Yes, I have advice, and it goes like this, act right now. So whatever that thing is, literally, literally, the only thing stopping you is you're allowing yourself to stop. So whatever it is right now, as you listen to my voice, whatever you've been contemplating doing but haven't done, just do right now. So if it's sending an email that's gonna force you to do something, if it's saying yes to something that terrifies you, whatever it is, right now, send the text, send the email, book the flight, whatever it is, pick up the phone, start dialing. If you've been holding yourself back from talking to somebody, yes, you're gonna be imperfect. Yes, you are gonna fuck it up. Yes, it is gonna be awkward. It will maybe even be very painful. It may even set you back momentarily, but the thing you will realize in all of that is it didn't kill you, it didn't destroy your life, it sucked, it was uncomfortable, it made you feel badly about yourself for a minute because you were so clumsy and awkward, but you took action. And if you listen to me, you know that the only thing that matters is action. Now, I don't say that because I have some particular belief system that I want people to take on. I say that because it's fucking true. The only thing that you will ever get a result out of in your life is acting. It isn't from thinking. It's not pontificating. And those things are good, by the way. And I think that thinking about shit is awesome, but it never amounts to anything. The only thing that matters is acting. So if you said, hey, I can either think about this for a really long time or I can fucking act, I will tell you to act. And the reason is the knock-on effect from a thought perspective, from what you'll learn perspective, from actually acting acting and doing something is, is exponentially greater than what you will get by thinking about it. And I'm a person that likes to think about shit. But the only thing that I reward myself for emotionally is action. That's it. So act, just do it. There, that's why that fucking Nike saying is stayed around forever because it is so true. Just do it. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is off Offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. 
Therapy can be an option for working through things. And for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. All right, this next one is from Kiet Ho. What are we, are we guessing? Are they Vietnamese? Yeah, yeah, he's from the... For Shwayze, right? Yeah. So we've got our boy right here, my man. Do you have any good Vietnamese phrases for me? Like, what should I be saying right now? Uh, xin chào. Xin chào. If I just said something horrible, like, we're going to have words after this. All right, nice. All right, well, what's, what is up, Kiet Ho? Um, what's the most effective and cost-efficient way to market a brand new website? Uh, so I'm a huge believer in social marketing, in influencer marketing, and influencer marketing goes like this. So whatever world it is that your website is meant to address, if it's an e-commerce website, whatever that product is, whatever your target audience is, find the people that are already speaking to them, that already have influence over those people, go engage with their community, really bring value to them, become known in that community. Over time, if you've added enough value to them, you'll be able to make an ask. And that ask may be as simple as, hey, go check out my website. Hey, give me a piece of advice on my website. Or hopefully, if your website has a product, that you can give that product away for free to that influencer and just ask them to talk about it. And what we always said at Quest was, look, Love it or hate it, please just talk about it. So if you hate it, tell people you hate it. But if you love it, tell people you love it. And that's all we asked. And because we weren't trying to control the conversation and people knew that we really believed in our product and we were just giving it away, giving it away, giving it away, we ultimately gave it to so many people that the conversation just started gaining momentum. If you're a content creator, get out there, start creating content. And if the content really adds value to people, then it's going to start to gain traction. You're gonna have to send it to people. You're gonna have to do something to get people to look at it that first time. And if you're a content creator, one of the easiest ways is to reach out to somebody that's speaking to your audience and say, I wanna create a piece of content for you, for your channel for free. Do that enough, do that for enough people and say, all I want is a link back to my site. And you can really begin to get traction that way. Your first people that really engage with your content, if it actually does add value to them, then they're gonna begin that snowball effect because they're gonna tell other people about it. But if you focus on making sure that your website is awesome, that your product is awesome, your service is awesome, whatever it is actually delivers an avalanche of value to people, then you've really got a chance. But a lot of times what people are looking for is like a slick marketing technique. Don't do that, man. Focus on really making sure that your website is awesome, that it's better than anything else, so that every person that goes there, even if it's not their thing, they're like, whoa, this is great. Because then they feel cool telling other people about it. When you can trigger that, where people feel cool about themselves telling somebody else about your stuff, you've already won. All right, Joseph Savino, 
Hey Tom, any tips on Facebook Live? I'm going live on Facebook every morning until the end of the hurricane season to help with disaster relief efforts. Hashtag hurricane challenge. You just got some free promo there uh, is what I named the challenge. That's brilliant. So first of all, this is a great example of what the last person was asking, which is this is how you add value to me and my community, right? You ask questions. I'm always asking people to submit questions. So this is huge. A great example. And now, hey, some love for hashtag hurricane challenge. Go check this out. Uh, it's going to be all the same things that we just talked about, right? So you want to add value like you're doing now. This is like so meta. It's crazy. Uh, so yeah, add that value and more and more people slowly over time will find out that you're doing the Facebook Lives. At the beginning of the Facebook Live, ask people to share it. That's a big one. Um, learn about the Facebook algorithm. That's also a big one so that you really begin to understand like what of your content is performing, how much of it's getting out there. Um, and then... There's always boosting some of your posts, but I'm guessing if you're doing this for charity that that would be frowned upon. Uh, so I probably wouldn't do that. Getting other influencers to get involved with you is another great way. So all the things that I was just saying, it just so happens that your product is to help people generate uh, money for the hurricane disaster relief. And I don't know what you're doing in the lives that's gonna draw people. Maybe it's telling human interest stories or whatever, but you have to make sure that whatever you're doing in the live is intrinsically valuable. So don't make people suffer through it just to be able to generate uh, money, make sure that it's in and of itself interesting. All right. Katrina McNew McCoy. There's a lot of mix in that. Uh, what advice do you give to become self-disciplined? I set goals. I write them down. I stay focused for a few days, then completely fail. How does one learn to self-discipline? So first read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. She goes into all the nuance because essentially what you're asking is how do you become gritty? She goes into all the nuance in that. A big part of that though is making sure that it's something that you really care about. And going back to what I was saying in the beginning, that is such a huge factor. Like you've got to care about the thing that you're trying to build. It's got like, and when I say care, I don't mean intellectually. I mean, emotionally, like there's, it's got to emotionally resonate with you. So for instance, it probably drives my team a little bit crazy because I'm always thinking of new content that I wanna create. I wanna spend more time creating content, but the fact is the comments that I get, the number of people that write in saying that the content has impacted their life, that they're taking action now on something that they wouldn't have otherwise had they not encountered the content, that is so addictive to me. And when I think about the studio and what we're building and how many lives we're gonna to touch, it's really fucking exciting for me. Like even if, in fact, people already do. But even if an overwhelming amount of people were heckling me and telling me this is stupid and that I'm gonna fail, like it wouldn't matter. Like to get those people that you touch, I have such an emotional response to that that I wanna do it. So yeah, find that thing that you love doing and that you would love doing every day, even if you were failing. And one of the ways that I get to this is asking myself, think about how hard it would be to become the best in the world at something. Okay, really fucking hard. Now ask yourself, what do you care enough about that you're prepared to become the best in the world at that? Knowing the, that, that 10,000 hours is the minimum barrier of entry to what they call mastery, but I would say that it probably starts like real mastery is probably somewhere closer to the 20,000 hours. So start thinking best in the world is 30, 40, 50, 60,000 hours. So what do you love enough to really go that hard and that will solve that problem for you. It's just when you love something that much, I promise. All right. Uh, I don't know how to say this. Mr. Inal Rao. I'm guessing it's something like that. Uh, this is from YouTube. I apologize for ruining that name. How do you keep going when you feel lost about what you seek? Lack of fulfillment despite doing fine. Kind of failed to connect to things I did in college and kept working just to keep busy. Ooh, we're getting a lot of questions that revolve around finding something that you actually care about. So I have a gut instinct. You need to encounter a lot more stuff. And whether that's uh, building homes in Peru for needy people, whether that's hurricane relief, whether that's um, entrepreneurialism, and stalled out there on that one, entrepreneurialism, building something, whether that's um, getting good at the stock market, whether that is being a teacher, like whatever that thing is, like go encounter a ton of different stuff from as wide a variety of things as humanly possible. Also look at your life, like where do you feel most alive? And I can feel that this is going to be a thing for me. Find that thing when you feel most content, most happy, where you love doing it. You're sad you're not doing it anymore. What is that thing? 
And once you identify that thing, find a way to be involved with it directly or in the universe of things. And to do that, you have to stop judging yourself. You have to figure out why you like it and you have to figure out why you don't think it's okay to like it or why you don't think it's okay to spend enough time doing it. And I'd be so curious, like, I'll just come back to a few simple things. Um, So what are the things that you love doing outside of maybe sex, like which is bordering on universal? It's not entirely, but bordering on universal. But the way to monetize that one is not exactly drawing people into a fulfilling life. So what are those things? Watching TV, like there are many, many ways if you can add value to other people. Look at how much, some of the biggest influencers on YouTube, some of the highest monetizing people are video games and film content, TV shows. So understanding that that there, especially now, like even if all you enjoy is Netflix and chill, like there are ways to build an ecosystem around that. And uh, Kevin Kelly, yeah, Kevin Kelly's notion of a thousand true fans. It isn't that you're going to build a multi-million dollar lifestyle out of delivering value to your thousand true fans, but you can build a living. So if you can make 60 to $75,000 a year, building an ecosystem around like Netflix and chill, the best things you should be watching, shows that uh, to watch if you like this, shows to avoid, explaining to people what the Netflix algorithm is, whatever. But like, if there's a way for you to make that kind of living doing Netflix and chill, would you wanna do it? And if it's not Netflix and chill, what is that thing? Reading, you could do book reviews. Like, And look, I get, I'm going to the things I give a shit about, but like, what are those things in your life that regardless of whether you can monetize it or not, you're going to do it? Then spend a little bit of time figuring out how you can actually make that your living. So, and then I'll just reiterate something I've talked about uh, ad nauseum today, technique, getting so good at something, working your ass off to develop a skill set that is unique to you, that has value to other people, and then putting that to use and serving other people. That's a big part of fulfillment. All right, Daniel Breeze, what is up, homie? Always good to hear from you. Hey, Tom, on two to one keto, how much protein should I be consuming to retain muscle? Even if I consume zero carb, it seems like it's not enough protein. All right, so this is a super controversial, so let's start with that. Um, I'll give you anecdotally, on a two to one ketogenic ratio, which for anybody that's new to keto, for every combined gram of protein and carbohydrate you eat, you would eat two grams of fat. So if I eat one gram of protein, one gram of carbohydrate combined, that's two grams, I'd need to eat four grams of fat to be at a two to one ratio. All right, so I have found on a two to one ratio, it is not enough to maintain muscle mass. Let me finish that statement. Now, ketogenics are considered muscle sparing. They're considered muscle sparing for the following reason. As human animals, we have a very uh, hungry brain, meaning that it requires a lot of metabolic resources in order to function. And the, the body has two fuel sources, glucose and ketones. So your body will burn glucose if it's getting it. And if you're not getting it, then your body will go through a process called gluconeogenesis, where it will turn the proteins found in muscle into glucose. So if you're a typical sugar burner, uh, you're burning glucose, and that's your body's usual fuel source, you're going to have problems with that. Uh, in, in losing muscle mass in moments of starvation. Now, as you go through starvation, because the body had to find a way to deal with this, because if you just have muscle wasting and you catabolize all your muscle to turn it into glucose to feed your brain, you're gonna have a much harder time surviving a famine. So your body has a backup mechanism that is called ketosis, where it burns uh, through gluconeogenesis for a bit, and then it realizes, okay, this might be a sustained period where we have no access to food, so we're gonna click over into ketosis. We're gonna start metabolizing fat, hence body fat, which is why you store that. So it turns that into ketones and your brain can burn those ketones. Now, because it can always tap into the body fat that you have, you get a very um, even response on ketosis. Now, because ketosis is actually taking you out of catabolizing the muscle, it's considered muscle sparing. But I don't know, I don't know if it just reduces the amount of muscle um, catabolizing or if I just happen to have shitty genetics. I don't know the answer. But when I, I went ketogenic for nine months on a two to one ratio, I had never felt better. It was awesome. 
the cognitive benefits from a, you don't have the ups and downs of, of eating when you're burning glucose. So whether I had, um, I was fasting, like right now I'm fasting by the way, but my ketones are north of one. So I have no cognitive uh, impairment. I'm probably, oh God, I'm not sure what time it is exactly, but I'm about 15 hours into a fast. So for people, if you've never done uh, that, you realize that cognitively you'll decline unless you're in ketosis. So um, now to really come back to your question. So I found that my muscles got softer after being nine months on ketosis, that um, I wasn't as strong as I was when I started. And now what I do is I rotate week to week to week. So I'll do high protein for, and I, I shouldn't say for a full week, I'll do high protein for five days. I'm always ketogenic on the weekends because I spike my calories really, really hard. Um, and I find that if I do that with protein, I start to get inflammation problems. So I go, um, two to one on the weekends regardless. So, but five days a week, I'm high protein. And then the next week I'll do um, all five days, all seven days, in fact, will be ketogenic. But the five days during the week are um, also restricted calorie. So, but there's a ton of people that will say that, oh no, you can build muscle perfectly on a ketogenic diet. So just full disclosure, that's a very um, controversial answer, but it is, it is my truth, as they say. All right, Shannon Nomadic. Man, if that's really your last name, your last name is pretty cool. Uh, I have three endeavors now, my photography, my NPO, and my artwork. I am passionate to tend to all three, but some days I can't. Should I scale back? If not, how would you suggest to place priority? All right, so read the book Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday. In that book, he talks about the number one thing that stops people from really creating something that lasts is they're trying to do multiple things that have nothing to do with each other at the same time. So while you can do all three, I would say it's easier to do them sequentially or to make one serve the other. So if your photography can serve your NPO, um, that would help. And by the way, scroll back up for a second. I'm not going to pretend. What's an NPO? I know what an NGO is. What's an NPO? Anybody? Ah, almost certainly correct. Can't believe I've never heard that um, put as an acronym. Uh, so yeah, probably nonprofit organization, uh, if I had to guess. So yeah, if you can make your photography serve your nonprofit, that would be amazing. Uh, your photography and your artwork almost certainly can work together. Um, so there's, there may very well be a way to bring them all together, but if you can't bring them all together, I, I think you have to separate them. All right, next up is, we're scrolling. Our boy Will was not prepared for that. Bill Vu, what happened? All right, Kesavon Selva Kumaran. All right, that's what I get. Uh, Facebook, when I go through pain doing an activity, whether it be physical or mental pain, what thoughts should I tell myself during the process of the activity? I'm the type of person that's willing to suffer for my goals. Like, that's what I'd be telling myself. I'd also be like, fucking Goggins would be so proud of me right now, or Goggins would be mortified by uh, the weakness that I'm displaying in my mind. But yeah, I, I'm focusing on why I'm doing it. I'm focusing on the result that I want to get, and I'm focusing on my identity as somebody that's willing to suffer through that. And quite frankly, I say things like, dude, you're such a badass for grinding through this, or I'm yelling at myself, like, come on, motherfucker, what are you doing? Like, push harder. You've got more than this. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want to be obscenely proud of myself at the end of it. All right. Peter Damick, you had countless conversations and interviews with successful people. What surprises you most about them? Um, I don't, uh, it's not so much that I'm surprised because I find that successful people tend to say the same things over and over and over. Um, it is more that the, the one thing, if I was going to say that I'm occasionally surprised by is that a certain percentage of people, and I'll say it's probably sub 30%, credit a lot of their success to the way that they were born. And these are always people that just work themselves to death. So I'm always surprised by that. But that, that's partly just my experience because I feel like I was deficited heavily uh, at birth and really didn't discover my potential until I was in my mid-20s. Uh, that just rings so bizarre to me. So maybe I'm a little bit jealous of people that just have always um, been that way. I don't know. But yeah, that every now and then that'll come up and that surprises me. All right, Bram Clurs. That has got to be a screen name. Uh, or his last name has zero vowels. Um, hi, Tom. What was your life's turning point? Uh, that got you into interviewing, did you go all in or where were there several events leading towards it? Uh, well, yeah, there were several events. So 
All right, in case you don't know, um, I'm one of the founders of Quest Nutrition. At Quest, we were really progressive on the marketing front. That helped us grow just freakishly fast. In that, though, I began to realize that um, social marketing was changing again. My team had been pestering me to step out front for a long time. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be on camera. That held no interest for me. In fact, it triggered my anxiety in ways that I cannot even begin to tell you. I remember I used to have to meditate for like 10 minutes before I could do a Periscope live because, uh, wow, it just really used to freak me out. And for the first like five minutes of the live, I would just be in such an elevated state of anxiety. So I really did not want to do that stuff in the beginning. Uh, and I pushed it off, pushed it off for years, and then finally realized that there was a shift happening, that it wasn't enough as a company to say we're about transparency and authenticity. Like the easiest way to show that, and I could just feel the change. And, and honestly, I think the change is, is driven a little bit by millennials. It is driven a crushing amount by Gen Z. And it was when I started to really understand like, where I think Gen Z is going that I thought, all right, just to plan for the future, I'm going to have to step up front. Now, what can I do that I, that I think is better than most people that I'm going to have a leg up on that I could truly get extraordinary. Now for, um, reasons of just employing people, I had interviewed well over 1500 people, just like job interview Stilo. And so I was very comfortable in that scenario. I was very comfortable with my ability to read people in real time. Um, and then on top of that, I was so paranoid that the employees at Quest were memorizing. So I wrote this thing called the 25 bullet points, which is a belief system. You can actually go to impacttheory.com right now, download the belief system. I had written that out because I wanted everybody to embody it because it, it was what I had to do to my mind to go from broke employee to building a billion dollar business. And I knew that that was gonna serve people no matter where they went, whether they worked you know, there or here at Impact Theory or anywhere, it's just, it will serve them. Um, but I was worried that they would know what bullet point number 13 was, but they wouldn't actually be living it. And so, and that's actually what started happening. So I wanted to bring on successful people that would, without any prompting from me, would be reiterating the same things that I was saying because I think they're the universal principles of success. Uh, then on top of that, add that I really, I have a firm belief if you get me in the room with somebody, I can convince them of what I'm trying to build. So whether that's Quest, whether that's Impact Theory, if you get them in the room with me, they will feel my fucking passion and they will see that I have the ability to pull it off but you have to get them in the room with me. Even this content isn't enough. And when somebody's in the room with me, and this is just self-belief, I just know, man, between what I can read from them, between how I can um, learn about them before they walk in the door so that I'll, I will impress them. I'll just be very, very frank. I will impress them with the amount of research that I've done. And by the way, this all started when it was just business meetings. So I knew that about myself. I could impress them in a meeting. I just needed to get them in the fucking room. And so that was a way I could see what was going on socially, that um, podcasts were becoming a bigger and bigger thing, that I could do it on video and that I could do it in front of a studio audience, which in the beginning was a really big thing for me. And we used to have much bigger audiences than we have now. Things change. Um, so anyway, all of that adds up to, and now I'm an interviewer. I'll just stop there. But that, that was sort of how that process went. Um, and it has trans, uh, translated brilliantly. And some of the, the most amazing relationships I built are from people that sat across from me on the couch. And that was my first chance, um, to, to really make an impression on them. All right, Chris Wakeford, YouTube, what's your scoop on nootropics and the phenomenon of microdosing? P.S. Come and see us in Sydney in 2018. Dude, I'm desperate for a reason to go to Australia. I've never been. It would be really, really amazing. Um, I just need an opportunity to present itself. Okay, so I don't fuck with nootropics. That's the truth. And I got hit up. Oh, God, I could have made so much money. Uh, a company that is doing very well hit me up to uh, basically be a front man for them. And the truth was, I just don't take supplements. Wah, wah, wah. And since I'm all about authenticity and protecting my reputation long-term, I was, I was so grateful that they thought of me. That was so thoughtful, um, especially because what they liked was my obsession with neuroscience. And look, if there was something that was real and that I didn't think had side effects, uh, I would do it in a heartbeat. And I have, by the way, it's the one drug I have tried. Um, I tried, or I should say one nootropic cause I have, I've smoked weed three or four times. I fucking hate it by the way, and only ever do it to, um, be social. Um, but I tried Bill Vu come through for me. What was it? Modafinil. I tried Modafinil 
Uh, and that I actually wanted to develop an addiction to. If it had been better, I would be addicted to modafinil because the promise was that you wouldn't need to sleep. And if there's anything I resent in life, it isn't having to work hard. I don't even resent having to work out in the gym as much as I resent having to sleep. Uh, so I tried it, but it, uh, while it like, you don't really notice as much that you're tired, I still found that like cognitively I wasn't optimized. It's not ideal, that, that's just the truth. So yeah, I don't do nootropics. I haven't microdosed. That is purely because I'm a chicken. So I am just afraid of, um, when he says microdosing, he's referring to psychedelics. Um, I'm a chicken. And I'm intrigued, I have to be honest. And every time that I spend time with Jamie Wheel, like I really want to do it. And God, could he possibly, like if I were going to do it with him, maybe. Um, but yeah, I'm a chicken. All right. Sasha Crespi, YouTube. Hey, Tom, I'm a 20-year-old entrepreneur, magician, and author. You are my kind of fucking person, Sasha. Uh, yeah, we have a distressing amount in common. I now have a lot of anger stored and ready to be used. Interesting. I didn't see that coming. Practically speaking, how do I use it as drive in life slash entrepreneurship? All right, it's the 80-20 principle. Be, so the dark side is very powerful, but it is also very destructive. So you have to be really, really careful. I spend 80% of my time focused on the things that are beautiful in my life, the things that are going right, the things that I'm grateful for, the way that I want to give back to the world, all of that. I spend 20% of my time placing a chip firmly on my shoulder, being really pissed off with where my life is, being really angry about how little I've accomplished so far in my life, and pushing myself to go harder. So I think that, that that is about right from the balance perspective. So they say that you're about five times more likely to believe something negative than you are to believe something positive. So be very, very careful. Don't let that anger consume you because it will become corrosive. It will make you capable of less. It will make you, um, if you take it too far, it will be so that people don't wanna be around you. So be very, very careful. But if you split it 80-20, that's roughly right. All right. Twitchy scroll master. Is that the one we're sticking on now? What you guys can't see is off camera. My boy, uh, William here is scrolling like a fucking drug addict. And so it just keeps like bouncing back and forth, right? We're sticking here. All right, Dan, bro. What is up, homie? Always good to hear from you. Um, I'm currently reading stealing fire. You just going on themes here, my man respect. All right. What are your thoughts on how, uh, they get into flow? All right, so I'm assuming he means how they got into flow in the book. So the book was written by Jamie Wheel and um, Stephen Kotler. It's a really fascinating book. And they talk about how there are multiple ways you can get into flow. If you guys don't know, Chicksett Mihai, he's sort of the godfather of flow. He wrote a book called Flow. Um, Stephen Kotler followed that up with something called Rise of Superman, uh, which is all about getting into flow states. And then Stealing Fire is really sort of a macro level view of the different ways that people can get into flow. Uh, psychedelics is one of the ways that they talk about, but they also talk about meditation. They talk about extreme sports, um, all things that are, they say, different doorways to the same thing, which is where you're, I'll summarize it by saying you get the biggest bang for your buck. You have creative insights. Your, um, your active conscious mind shuts down. Like if you've ever noticed, like, in fact, I can fuck you up by just saying, where are your hands right now? And all of a sudden it becomes awkward. Like you don't know where to put your hands. So you're typically existing in a state of flow with where to put your hands. Um, and so things like that can be taken out to the extreme. So if you're a writer, in fact, we just had somebody um, who's an author. One of the ways to get into a state of flow as a writer is to get completely absorbed in the story itself. And I think Stephen King gives words to this the best when he says he doesn't know where the ideas come from. He literally feels like he's channeling them. And that's the conscious mind shutting off and the story just presenting itself. Now, I think it's probably just presenting itself from the subconscious mind. Um, but nonetheless, you're getting out of that conscious mind into the subconscious where things flow more effortlessly, where you can be more creative, make more um, cross connections. So ways to get into flow states are going to be different for everybody, but total concentration, getting completely lost and absorbed, which is why extreme sports works. Because if you're thinking, if you're not one hundred percent focus on what you're doing at that moment, you will die. That has a way of really capturing people's attention. So whatever it is for you, that's ultimately going to trigger that state of flow. I can't say, um, if you're not as big of a chicken as me, you can certainly try, um, getting into a flow state through psychedelics. I do it through meditation. I've found that very useful for creative thinking. Um, and then I find that I go in and out of flow 
and that it's all about concentration, shutting off the rest of the world, putting on headphones for me is a huge thing. Um, listening to things that don't have lyrics. I, a lot of times, if you see me with my headphones on, I'm either listening to scores from movies or I'm listening to the sounds of nature, which really, really helps me zone in. There are times where I will listen to the sounds of nature, even if I'm in a room and it's like 3 a.m. and it is totally quiet, there is nothing making noise, I will still put on the sounds of nature. So I don't know if that's something that's hardwired, but that's something that really helps me. All right, Devin Vert, Facebook. Is there an ideal environment for success? Uh, like I know the like-minded people, but do I need to be in a big city given that I want to attain monumental success? All right, there's no one size fits all, but I will say that being in a, in, in a big city is gonna put you into contact with a lot more people, which I have found is very, very helpful. But if I'm honest, the thing that I think is the greatest predictor of success has nothing to do with the city, has nothing to do with your physical environment. It has entirely to do with how much time you spend acquiring skills. So that's both being very thoughtful and thinking, and I get it, that's a contradiction to my earlier thing, and then having a bias towards action, which is completely what I was trying to say earlier. But having those two things is absolutely critical. So I will channel my boy Warren Buffett for a second and say that he keeps some absurd, like two thirds of his calendars just blank. It is time for him to really dive into the data, to really think about where he wants to go, what he wants to invest in, where markets are shifting towards. And he says, not having that time is, is criminal. Now I will say that's coming from the mouth of somebody who's not afraid to act, not afraid to invest, not afraid to pull the trigger. Um, so he's doing, doing, doing constantly, but you do need to give yourself the time to really think about where you need to be, to be strategic, but then go out and actually acquire those skills. So the ideal environment for success is whatever your dojo is for that thing that you're trying to get good at. That's that. Uh, so whether that's engaged in business, whether that's out on the track and field, whether that's lost in nature, whatever it is, like whatever is actually going to help you acquire the skills to get so good you can't be ignored, to become truly capable of the extraordinary. That's it. All right. Um, what's my time update? You don't have a clock on your computer, which seems impossible. Look at that. I have an internal clock. All right, everybody, thank you so much for it. It was amazing to see how many questions were pouring in. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I do go back and look at all the comments and things. So if you just have a comment or whatever that you want to leave, know that those do get looked at. Thank you guys so much for engaging. I've got new shows in development, by the way, which will give us an opportunity to spend some more time together, which I'm really excited about that we'll be unveiling in uh, three to six weeks, let's call it. Um, so thank you guys. This community is literally my lifeblood at this point. I am so stoked to have you. It means the world. So thank you for engaging. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you guys would, we're really trying to grow this community. We're trying to hit 115,000 on YouTube by October 1st. That is nigh mission impossible at this point, but we're running a competition that's going for the next three weeks to at least get us there as fast as we can. There is a video that Agent Smith had dropped into the comments. Send your friends to that, get them to subscribe to the channel and then put your name in that comment box for a chance to win no matter where you live in the world, whoever wins. And the more time, the more friends you get to drop your name in, every time your name is dropped in, that's an additional entry into the hat that we will pull from. So you're more options to win. We will fly whoever wins here to spend a day with me. So you get time in LA and you get to chill with me for a day. It's going to be fucking awesome. So help us get to that 115, ideally by October 1st would be amazing. We greatly appreciate it. If you haven't already subscribed, be sure to do that. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.